When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. You guys know what we do here, obviously. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so let's The clue is it. in the name. Yeah, let's just <laughs> go do it, do it. Shall we? Well, yes. So we got our recordings mixed up, blah, 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 last week. So last week I just gave everybody a little uh, tee up on what we were thinking and on the excellent emails that we got from people who were trying to help me out to explain my conundrum of, uh, I don't know, again, like I just, the words like don't come to me with this. It's like, how, how does one who buys something forever then sell and buy based on what's happening in the market? Like the two ideas just are incompatible to me. And yet to you, they are compatible. And what so, did somebody say that helped you? Okay, well, I suppose you didn't listen to our last little episode so far. Uh, okay, here we go. So this email is from listener Rob Hall. Rob, thank you. So he says, I think the fundamental issue that caused Danielle to be a little shocked at what Phil was saying in episode 392 is this. One. She has internalized what Buffett says about the preferred holding time of a company being forever. Correct. That's right. Two, you, Phil, are now talking about dancing in and out of a company multiple times over the course of a decade. Three, Danielle views this as trying to time the market with a quote-unquote crystal ball, which basically seems like you're trying to predict the future. That is how I was seeing what you were saying. Yes. Are we on the same page as Rob here so far? Sure. Okay. Four. You, Phil, view this as not trying to predict the future, but as recognizing the macro environment and your current situation as a relatively small dollar investor like Buffett was in the 70s and trying to optimize your strategy accordingly. So here are the two questions that Rob has. One. How can we use intrinsic value to guide decisions about when to get in and out of a company with a time scale he's saying maybe of a few times in a decade, question mark? And how is that different than trying to time the market? And then secondly, how would you know, and this is where the crux of it comes, I think this is what's really good. How would you know when it's time to switch back to a buy and hold forever kind of mindset? Or are there certain types of companies where you should keep that approach even now, the buy and hold approach? Or are all companies subject to the uh, moving in and out of the company strategy? Well, I think End of email for Rob. We have podcasts now that we can do for the next month on this. I know. Uh, Isn't that good? Loaded. Like well done, concise, Rob. smart, yeah. way better said than I was trying to say it. Yeah, I did it very well. I, I'm going to back up to one point he said i was with him pretty good all the way until he said that i'm looking at a macro environment and um and i'm really not 
Oh. I'm not really looking at a macro environment. The macro environment certainly has an effect. So what I mean by macro environment, you guys, is that, you know, how the world's working, right? Macro environment are things like the war in Ukraine, you know, inflation in Europe, uh, you know, China getting more stringent under, um, you know, stronger uh, dictatorship kind of rules. Um, you know, those are all macro environment things. The U.S. having inflation, who's the president, you know, who's running the Congress. Those are, the, what's the Federal Reserve going to do? Those are all macro things. Okay. And my teacher, Buffett, is very clear that if he were to know the interest rate that the Federal Reserve is going to put on the interest rate in a year, he and Charlie wouldn't change a single thing that they do. Right. So the macro environment in the sense that is used by Ray Dalio, macro investors like that, yeah, really isn't a consideration for a Buffett type investor. And we're supposed to be Buffett type investors. Now, having said that, if we go back to the 60s, not maybe the 70s, although I'm 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 willing to be uh, hedge that a little bit. But Rob is saying the 70s. I'm saying the 60s for sure. Buffett exited companies all the time, all the time. And the reason he did it had nothing to do with the macro environment. It was entirely price to value. That was it. In other words, you're going to a flea market, you're buying something, and you're trying to maximize the velocity of your money. So you're not just going to take this thing home and sit on it. You're going to resell it, but you're going to resell it for a high price. Now, unlike a free flea market, you don't get to set the prices of things. Mr. Mm -hmm. Market's setting the prices. Therefore, when you buy something at the flea market because it's super on sale, you know you're going to have to wait a while before you resell it. Now, if you could resell it a day later, like if you could buy some, you know, mink coat at a flea market and resell it on eBay a day later, there's nothing in our strategy that would say, oh, no, you can't do that because you're a rule one investor. No, you could totally do that. But that's not going to happen. Mr. Market is not going to offer you double the price you just bought it at the day before. Okay, so, but can I just can I just sure. use that example? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't like the idea of reselling mink coats. So let's resell like bicycles. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So... I find a incredibly valuable vintage bicycle at the flea market. And I know that in 30 years, this bicycle is going to be worth so much more than it is today because of the inherent qualities of the bicycle and how much cash the bicycle generates year over year. That was a joke. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, okay. All right. Now we're renting the bicycle. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, we can rent the bicycle. Good <laughs> sure. call. But yeah, um, there's a consideration. And then, and so as part of my buying the bike for 500 bucks, I am thinking like in 30 years, this bike is going to be worth like 30 grand because there's going to be five of them in the world. Mm-hmm. And then somebody tomorrow shows up and offers me 30 grand. Mm-hmm. Now, time value of money, the 30 grand tomorrow is definitely worth more than the 30 grand 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. But did that just change my 
consideration in some way. Is the, maybe the market for this bike, maybe that's some new knowledge that I didn't realize or something. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that the price goes way up tomorrow doesn't necessarily affect my plan. Or maybe it does. Maybe it does. Because, I mean, think about it. That You said a couple of things here that are interesting. The yeah, first one I is, mean, maybe I'm confusing myself, You basically myself, said, frankly. I'm not really sure if I know the business well enough because somebody offered me $30,000 for something I don't think is going to be worth 30000 for another 25 years or 30 years. Yeah. And they offered it to me today. So maybe there's something I don't know here. So that's that's the first thing is that's entering into your mind the, the possibility that you don't really understand the business well enough. True. At this point to be comfortable taking the money. Because, oh, yeah. Good oh, point. Maybe yeah. it's worth a million dollars right. in 30 years. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a real problem for the buyer of businesses is to not understand the value well enough that your decision about value and price is independent of the market. Oh, that's super interesting. The market is influencing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. Because of course, what's what's in my head with this terrible analogy is how many investors (laughs) I know (laughs) personally that we know um, who have sold too early on a great company in the last 10 years over and over and over and over. It is the refrain of the long-term investor in the last two last 10 years. I didn't see what that company could have done. And I sold too early. I didn't, I mean, it's essentially what you're saying. Like I didn't understand. I didn't either. I didn't understand the company or I didn't understand how insane the market could get one of those two things. I, I do think it's the latter. Right. I mean, I think you've Maybe. lived through. Yeah, I think you've lived through an extraordinarily rare time in the last 140 years of the market. We've, yeah. We've really only seen this kind of phenomenon a couple of times in 140 years, and since it's gone on for over a decade, there are quite a large number of investors like like you who never experienced anything else. Mm-hmm. This is it. Everything just keeps going up. What a fool I've been to sell this at what I thought was a reasonably accurate estimate of intrinsic value. And I was completely wrong by double. Yeah, but we've you both know? talked about that. Like we with Chipotle, like we talked, we didn't talk about it in the context of that was the right call. We talked about it in the context of that was the wrong call. Sold mm-hmm. too early. Mm-hmm. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So let's let's think about a couple of things here. First, okay. what kind of investor are you? Are you Warren Buffett? today or are you Warren Buffett in 1956, right? So Warren Buffett today is defending a giant fortune. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more in that position than you are. Uh, The way I invest is to defend, right? Because I'm quite comfortable. 
I just want to keep up with inflation and defend this thing and grow it, but not. I don't need to be aggressive about what I'm going to call the velocity of money. Mm. Okay, so the velocity of money is how fast is your money growing? That's what I mean by the velocity of money. So if you go back to Warren Buffett in the early in the late 1950s and early 60s, the velocity of money was extremely important to him, and it is to anyone who's trying to build a fortune trying to become financially independent um, requires a quite remarkably high rate of return, given that most of us can't just have millions of dollars come in through our income. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get a high rate of return. And to get a high rate of return and sustain it requires understanding that a business is going to go, a business that I can buy on sale is going to double relatively quickly if I've gotten it right. And over and over, we see that, right? You've seen me do that over and over again. Yeah. So the the doubling process is going to happen in, gosh, as little as six to nine months and as long as four or five years. But it's going to happen. It's going to be in that range of, you know, well up into the high teens, low 20s, compounded annual growth rate on that one chunk. Mm -hmm. That one movement from I bought this on sale massively and then the market goes, oops, and puts it back to its value. All right. That happens quickly. Now, from that point on, there's two phenomena that are that we've been experiencing. The first is the company is going to cease growing at 20 percent per year in terms of your, your return on investment. It's not going to do that anymore. It's only going to grow at the rate that its earnings are growing. Okay. So the velocity is going to slow down massively. Mm -hmm. So if you buy C's candy massively on sale and it grows at four to 5% a year, in three years when it's no longer on sale, it's back to intrinsic value, you've just doubled your money, you compounded at 26% per year, and now your money's gonna go grow along at about four or 5% a year. Okay. If, if the market is accurate. Now, the second phenomenon is the market is not accurate at all. And Mr. Market starts pricing C's candy through the roof as if it's growing at 15% a year. It's pricing Chipotle. It's pricing everything massively because of an artificial stimulation of the market through interest rate reduction and, um, and having very, very little alternative. So... The impact of that is to distort the market. That's what happens when the government gets involved. It distorts the market and it does it intentionally, right? It's trying to increase people's, the value of the masses of people's uh, assets is essentially what, what's going on, right? After 2009. And so increasing the value of real estate, increasing the value of the stock market makes all the politicians look good. They get reelected. Um, it preserves, it, it points to the Federal Reserve requirement to keep full employment as much as possible. And everybody's happy until the balloon pops. So we get this artificial market, which is what we've had for the last decade or more. And those are the two things. Those are the two key things that, that happen is you get, you get a market dislocation. In our case, 10 years of up when it shouldn't have had that much up. And uh, or you grow at the normal rate of growth for this company, which is going to be substantially lower than the compounded growth rate of your portfolio 
because you doubled your money when you bought it cheap. So what Buffett did in the 50s is sell stuff. When it got up to intrinsic value, he didn't worry about what the macro environment was. He just sold things and then turned around and put the money into new things that he could buy on sale and sold those when they got up to intrinsic value. And he just kept doing that. And as a result, sustained a compounded growth rate of up into the 30s, 30 percentile in that time period. So that's that's where you sort of have to choose. Are you going to be Warren Buffett in the 50s and build financial independence as quickly as you can? Or are you going to be Warren Buffett today and preserve a portfolio? <laughs> oh, it's so easy. <laughs> I mean, the... the <laughs> The, the, ah, the complaint is that in a market like we've had, okay, so follow the follow that rule, let's say. The company doubles, you sell. Going to find another investment that's a better use of my money, except that the problem is that the market is insane and it's very hard to find a different investment with anything on sale, which I think is why there's this recurring. I think that if that were working, we, I wouldn't have that that complaint. We wouldn't keep hearing this complaint of like, I can't find anything to put my money in. I sold too early. I sold too early and now I have cash and I don't know what to do with it. Um I don't know that this really applies to the strategic decision-making, but it is reality of the last like seven, eight years. So based on the strategy that you've set forth, the correct call would be you sell at the double, take your winnings and wait for the next opportunity of something on sale. And if there's nothing, then fine. You sit there and you have cash. Would that be correct? Yep, I think that's correct. I think the uh, the only way to really change that, because w- what we're talking about is understanding the value of the business, right? Yeah. So the only way to change that would be to alter your your determination of what that value is. Yeah, And since I, we look at it three different ways, right? We look at it from the point of view of the, the, uh, the yield from the cash that you get off of the business as an owner, if you own the whole thing, what's your, what's your yield? And say that, gosh, if we got a 10% yield, we would love to own this business, we'd like to buy it. And um, we would sell that when the yield was at like 5%. Mm-hmm. Right, we would sell it to somebody else and mm-hmm. let, let them own it at that price. And if the yield goes to two percent, then damn it, that was that was we we should have held on. Theory, you know, we should have held on emotionally, but theoretically we shouldn't have. Yeah, according to the strategy, the no, because right we just don't have a crystal ball. You don't know if somebody's going to pay stupid prices for. And things. I think that like that little moment is the stuff where I get a bit like what. Because it's like, no, either the 5% is the correct call according to the strategy or it's not. And the strategy doesn't care what happened after that. Right. Uh, or if it does, care. then you got to change the strategy. Right. So I think you could conceivably, and I haven't been smart enough to do this, so I'm just going to tell you, you guys and those of you who are smart enough could probably do this, 
But you could look out there and say, oh, well, the reasonable cap rate in this kind of a crazy market is two, mm-hmm. not five. And I'm going to hold until I get to two. Yeah. Okay. That's that's doable. Well, that I mean, would be involving that in macro that's environment. Macro. And I'm not great at macro. Right. So I've I've kind of I've kind of sort of bent to this reality. Bent to this reality. And we've looked back and back tested a lot of a lot of our decisions and recognized that we could have done, you know, back testing is always hindsight 2020, yeah. right? Yeah. But we could have used exit signals that we've we we look at that I've written about in the first book, rule number one, these uh, indicators, these arrows. Mm-hmm. We could have used them in a certain sort of way that looks really good on backtesting. And that would have kept us in a bunch of stuff for quite some time after it went up above its intrinsic value. If we decided, okay, above intrinsic value, now we're going to sell and just wait until the market turns down and we get the arrows that tell us it's time to get out. That would have probably doubled our rate of return over the last five years. And so it's intriguing. I just don't know if it just based the on these technical indicators and nothing yeah. to do with changing the view of the company. Nothing at all. No. So we would have held Chipotle, for example, um, up to, I think, almost a thousand. before. I we mean, God, I don't think I could sleep, honestly, like based on. You know how that's always like Buffett's standard, like do I sleep well at night or not? And I always think of yeah. that. Like I don't think I could sleep based on some little like algorithm that's the stochastic chart is spitting out at me. I don't I don't I don't doubt it. But, but I mean I think here's the thing is that I've I've been around these for a long, long time and I have a pretty high degree of confidence that they're not gonna get you in trouble. That, that's the main the main thing I'm confident about is that they're not going to get you in terrible trouble if you use them the way I use them. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not make you any money and they might actually lose you a little bit of money, but not big money. You're not going to lose big money because you're doing this. For anybody who's and wondering what we're talking about, big money by doing it. I just want to say your book goes into it. Rule number one, go get the book if you haven't read it. And also we did at least one episode, I think maybe two on technical indicators maybe like two years ago. So go back and look. It'll, it'll be called something like charts or technical indicators, something like that. But I, I'm going to say there's about that. 100, you're 100% right that it's been a really tough last, let's say since 2017 or 18, about five years, four to five years, really tough because coming out of companies that we bought cheap and they doubled and then having nowhere to go with the money right? very frustrating. Because you, you talk like, oh, well, why don't you just sell that company and go buy a fantastic different one that's also on sale? Ah, <laughs> right. oh, I'm also going to sell you this bike for $30,000. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> what a good deal. But like, it just doesn't it. happen so easily. Well, in a 40-year investing career, though, this last 10 years, particularly the last four or five years, are completely anomalous. Yeah. They are totally off the chart. I mean, we've never seen anything like it, even remotely, nor have many of my friends who run hedge funds similar to what I do. They haven't seen it either. In the and sense that you were all expecting a correction way earlier. Sure. Okay. 100%. And I think I can say with a high degree of confidence, Warren Buffett was as well. Oh, he basically right? said that. Yeah. So- you know, we sit on a lot of cash and that is its own asset 
and has its own value, even mm-hmm. in a time of inflation. Uh, you know, arguably right now, being heavily in cash is a really smart thing to do. And it's, and I think as the market corrects and corrects, and as the Federal Reserve kicks up interest rates, you will start to see a whole nother era coming at you guys, an era much more like the 1970s than like the 2015s where you're being offered opportunities all over the place. And those opportunities last a relatively short period of time. The market recovers and then collapses again, over and over again, because we're resetting the risk reward ratio in the market as they change interest rates Mm. upward. And if Dalio's right, that interest rates get to be 6% instead of 1%, the risk reward ratio has effectively put the market at a price of around 20,000 on the Dow. And if the market settles at 20,000 on the Dow and just doesn't, right, it goes down there and then tries to creep back up to 35,000 and then crashes again and then back up to 35,000, you'll have exactly the situation from 1965 until 1983. That's exactly what happened over and over at least 12 times in a period of about 18 years, the market went down 30 to 40% and then back up to where it was because the economy just couldn't sustain. And there were other things you could put your money into that were doing better, like commodities and things like that. So there, so there like Rob described that. that you were recognizing the macro environment. You just talked about the macro environment but then you pushed back and said, oh no, I don't consider the macro environment at all. Well, it's like it's like we want to shoot fish in a barrel, right? Sure. It, that's really what we want to do. We want to, we want to fish, but we really want to shoot fish in a barrel. So the fish in the barrel is the environment. That's the macro, right? So where are there fish in a barrel? All right, that, that's kind of what you have to ask. And since I'm not really good at the world, of investing, I don't. I don't really feel comfortable drifting off to Turkey, thinking there's maybe fish in a barrel, mm-hmm. or right now into Ukraine, thinking there's fish in a barrel, right? Or Russia, thinking there's fish in a barrel. I just kind of stick to our home turf, and you know the the area I know, and wait patiently for the fish to get into the barrel. So yeah, absolutely, the macro environment is affecting what I'm doing, but I'm not shooting fish because they're high or low. In price. In the sh- barrel. They're in the <laughs> mixing up my metaphors <laughs> terribly here. So really, I'm just looking for an opportunity to be to be jumping over six inch here, a new a new metaphor. The jumping yeah. over six inch bars instead of big high ones. And that happens when the market macro changes. Yeah. From yeah. greed to fear. Okay. As we change from greed to fear, then all of a sudden everything gets easier. So I just want to go back to this, which I think is kind of the crux of my trouble, this point about the strategy creating a situation that in the market we've had, one will, I mean, of course, like without knowing what was going to happen, right? But looking in hindsight. <laughs> Excuse me. Kazoon tight. Thank you. Um, one would sell at a good price, happy, made money, and then torturously watch that company shoot into the stratosphere for eight years and have everyone looking at you going like, 
so what did you move it into like what other awesome thing was on sale and you're just like nothing (laughs) it's just horrible and I just want to like confirm that that is your choice rather than the Buffett which you know gets you by the way here's the important point it gets you to the same result the buy and hold means you get to own that virtual <laughs> uh, dollar amount as the company goes the stock price goes up you don't actually own it because you haven't sold so like you haven't taken the winnings off the table and then as it comes back down you end up in the exact same spot as the person who sold except actually worse off because you didn't make any money on the way up well it's a, that's a really interesting point it, it, and it really is true if you have a crystal ball and you know that the market's going to reprice itself to a 250 percent gdp wilshire ratio it's just so impossible to think about that in my i you know i'm i'm in my 70s man i'm i'm like looking back at a whole lifetime of investing and never seen anything like this yeah. So it's really difficult to invest as if something's going to happen that's never happened before in history. Right? right. So it's the same problem that caught people in the real estate market. It's like in their experience, real estate had never gone down. And so they priced everything as if it will never go down. And um, man, I mean, that's just not my experience. Mm. So I think um, I think the good news is that is all theoretical. And it's moot. And we are now in the kind of market that is definitely moving things on sale. You, There are things on sale out there. The, the question is whether you want to buy them now or wait till they get more on sale. Um, I mean, start with the tech stocks and, and start taking a look there. And you're going to start seeing things that look pretty, pretty interesting, even by our terms uh, on companies that are probably among the best companies in the world. So I think time's Hmm. coming here, or it's here. I think in some regard, it's here. That if you understand the business and are looking through the lens that we look through, uh, you are rapidly becoming a buyer um, or about to become a buyer. You're certainly certainly got your wish list out there and and you're you're checking it twice and you're making sure you're ready. Um, And then just the question is, when are you going to pull the trigger? Right? All right. So I, I think the future looks really good right now really good so it's helpful let's talk though, about that next time yeah and and maybe we can i find it quite helpful to talk about the strategy and like i like rules so when things go nuts i can like literally refer to the rules and to have gamed out what those rules mean means well but what? Well, I just was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, Charlie Munger has been saying for the last few years, this is an extremely difficult market to invest in, right? And effectively, the people who weren't really investing, they're just camped out on a portfolio because that's what they've always done. But that's me. That's what I've done. I've camped out. I've, I, I bought and held. And then that worked out really, really well. But it's I don't anomalous. know if it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. It's 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 anomalous though. That's what that's my point, is that this is not normal. Nothing normal about this. 
So when it's going back to normal, which means fluctuations regularly between greed and fear, then we are going to have lots of opportunities. You're going to have opportunities to, to put money into action that you haven't had in a long time. Very confident hmm. about that. So we'll see if I'm right. Uh, okay. Let's talk more about yeah. that next time. All right. And like I said last time, Twitter, crazy stuff, Netflix. Can we talk about you that want? next time? Netflix, hopefully definitely. Um, twitter definitely google let's talk about all that tech techie stuff it's fun oh i don't know what's happening at google but all i know is that neither you nor i can own twitter anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true all right oh it's definitely true <laughs> well i guess you could go become friends with elon and get him to sell you some <laughs> Yeah, definitely true. That, okay. Because it's private, you guys. It's private. It's That's gone. the point. It's private. No. Yeah. It's yeah. private. All right. Thanks, Until everybody. Then, time to go play. Bye. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.